Hello and welcome to the latest edition of Up The Arts podcast with me, Thomas McGill. Apologies, first of all, if I'm sounding a little bit breathless. I'm currently walking up the street on the way to the Park Theatre in North London, where I'm set to speak to its artistic director and the lead of one of my favourite musicals. In fact, probably my favourite musical of all time. And I really mean that, of all time. Yes, everyone. Le Cargefort is back, but I'm promised this time with a bit of a difference. Obviously, we'll find out a little bit more about that whenever I speak to the artistic director here of the Park Theatre Jazz Bond, and Michael Mattis, who is playing George in this version of the show. Now, it's been adapted by the acting supremo Simon Callow as well, so there's some really good pedigree behind this programme. But first of all, let's get inside and get ourselves settled. First of all, Jez, I want to thank you for bringing this back. This is actually genuinely one of my favourite musicals of all time. I'm sure you've heard that before. Yes, I have indeed. Uh, Of course, the fantastic thing with this version is it's the play, not the musical, and that has never been done uh, in the English language, ever. Well, let's address that then initially, because I was reluctant in my little intro to introduce it as a revival, because you have said, you know, it's the first time uh, in the English language. So how is it different then? Well, this is the original play that was a a classic French farce that ran for five years, from 1973 to 1978 at the same theatre, a huge hit uh, in Paris, and then went on tour for a couple of years. And of course, we know the title from the French film, La Cage aux Folles, the French sequel, in fact, two sequels, then the American musical, La Cage aux Folles, then the American film, The Birdcage. But the original play, with no songs, just a classic farce, has never, ever been done in the English language. So I'm thinking, is this a bit of a risk? Because, of course, your audience are going to be expecting, you know, the Jerry Herman songs and the big belters and and all the stuff that they they would expect from the 2008 version and all that. Perhaps, uh, Michael, you, you can fill us in on that. Uh, well, I mean, having done a lot of musicals and plays, uh, I can say uh, that this is uh, hands down the best version of La Cage <laughs> I have come across. I mean, seriously, the, the, the adaptation, the translation from uh, Simon Callow is so witty and so full and rich and the language is so clever. It's just an absolute pleasure every second of speaking it. So I don't think people will be disappointed at all. And when Michael says every second of speaking it, Michael is speaking pretty much every second of it. (laughs) (laughs) The the poor man leaves the stage for half a page. Uh, (laughs) It's it's a tour de force. Monsieur Poiret, who wrote it, wrote that part for himself, so he gave himself the lion's share of the lines. Well, tell us a bit then about your part in the whole play, because most people will be familiar with the story of the college. Yes, so, um, well, Georges and Albin are the central couple. They're a middle-aged gay couple, and uh, Georges owns 
a nightclub. Alban is very much the star of the nightclub. Um, some might say fading star, but not to his face. Um, and, um, and the story really is is about George's son, who comes and gets uh, and 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 uh, surprises his dad with the information that he's planning on marrying a girl he barely knows, um, and that, and and that her parents are extremely right wing and a bit anti gay. So uh, so <laughs> just a bit. just a little bit. Um, and so what he requests is that we kind of de-gay ourselves um, so when, when they come to dinner and we have to change the house, we have to change ourselves, we have, and uh, um, there's, a, there's a fantastic line where Alba, you, you'd explain it to Alba and, and he says, wonderful, we'll pull out all the stops and your character says, that's exactly what we can't do. <laughs> yeah, it's trying to explain to somebody who is so naturally a wonderful, beautiful, flowering, effeminate gay man um, that he has to somehow convince the world that he's straight. We realise it's going to be an impossibility and a disaster. And I mean, that is, that is where the classic farce element mm. comes into the story. And of course, in a musical, you have the opportunity to take a breather and have a song and this is much more like a roller coaster ride it never lets up and the audience will be utterly breathless by the yes. end of it well you certainly will be <laughs> <laughs> but they will it's you know going back to the, the differences between the musical and the play you know because it doesn't have a number of songs in it. It is just relentless fast, and it is a gag a minute. It is constant, and it's going to be obviously far wittier because there are there's, there's more space for that. So many wonderful lines that you don't get the detail of those scenes in the musical, do you? It's sort of cut to the next song, you get a little taste. So yeah. in some ways, the the musical strips all that out of it and puts the music in, and, and what you're doing is putting it back. Is that fair to say? I think a little way, yes. I mean that there is a great deal of heart in this play. Mm. Um, and uh, there is in the musical, and, and there are one or two numbers in the musical which really, get, which really punch home a lovely emotional message. But there is, uh, amidst all the mayhem and farce, there are lovely moments of, of a beating heart, the relationship between the father and son, the relationship between the two middle-aged men and, uh, and the relationship between the son and his wife. Um, and also, maybe, a slight conversion of the, of the extreme right, we hope, by the end of the play. <laughs> Not giving too much away. Well, of course, it's timely in, in some respects as well. It was written in the 70s, the, um, uh, the one that probably we're more familiar with. Um, ten years on since it was been in London, uh, is now a kind of, why now bring it back? Well, actually, that's a good point. I sort of had this in my back pocket for a few years because it was an idea I had to do since I was probably I was about 20. Um, and uh, at, at one stage, the kind of story is, at one stage I was going to do it about 20 years ago when the musical hadn't been done for a little while. Um, and actually, there was another version floating around that Simon Callow did not uh, adapt. Uh, where they had modernised it and set it in uh, a modern-day Soho. And it just felt like it didn't work because um, attitudes had changed too much and it felt like it was trying to kind of crowbar something into a situation that, that, didn't, uh, that, that didn't feel normal. Um, and then years later, I was going to do it, but the musical came about and I thought, well, there would be confusion and it felt wrong if you did it literally at the same time or within a year of the musical. So I suppose now felt like the right time because it's been enough time since the musical um, and it feels like a great title that people, people know. That, well, they know the title, but they don't know the play. So I think that's such a unique thing. And yet, all the issues that are dealt with there, I mean, Simon said a, a couple of quotes from him, you know, we still live in 
in such a, a bigoted and, and divided society that in actual fact a lot of things have not changed in, in all that time, which is really scary in some senses. Well, it's interesting, isn't it? You know, we're round about the mid-70s uh, where we're setting this. Um, you suddenly have Margaret Thatcher on the scene trying to get into power, mm. and then she gets into the power, and we have Clause 28 um, uh, and, and the treatment of, uh, of the initial AIDS victims. Mm. And, and now we have uh, Boris Johnson just in, into power, somebody who uh, is on record for um, uh, homophobic, abusive comments. And so, in a way, this play, have it, putting this on now and saying, this is what the world was like way back in 1973. And yeah. the, we're asking a big question as to how much it's really changed in terms of attitudes in the extreme right. Very and, true. Yeah. Not, not just in this country, but internationally, right? You mean, you've got Orban mm. and Hungary, you've got Trump in America, you've, even in you know, hitherto very socialist mm. uh, Scandinavian countries, you've got the rise of, of, of a far right as well. It's a very scary time. And it's opening in the middle of LGBT History Month, which perhaps is not deliberate, but I think it's a real opportunity to introduce it to a new audience that, you know, time has passed, it's been 2010 since it was last in, in London, there's been a tour since then, but it's a real opportunity to, to do that perhaps, yeah. so that, uh, you know, people can learn something through theatre in a way that perhaps they wouldn't by going to an exhibition or, or looking at, you know, history through tours and various other things. It really is. I mean, the, the, the flag-waving and marching is a huge important part um, uh, of, of our life, but also uh, theatre and the, the, the ability to tell a really powerful political story through through the medium of farce is a really yeah. exciting yeah. challenge. Yeah. yeah. And theatre's about debate, isn't it? The best theatre should be uh, spaces where you can go in and have important conversations and none more so, I guess, than in our space, Park 200, our, our main house here at Park Theatre, because you are literally breathing the same air as these wonderful actors. You are in the same room as them. Um, and, and, of course, we have gone a little further and broken the fourth wall at various times, so we've really brought the audience into our world uh, in, in a way that makes it, of course, a, a far more intimate and engaging and electric experience than you would perhaps get watching it on television or, or, or in some other format. And we've talked about Simon Callow or touched on his name a few times. How did that come around then that he was um, adapted this play for, for this time? Well, as I said, I had this early version which we didn't yeah. want to go with, which just didn't work and tried to update it. And, and I thought, well, the only way ever it was going to work was to have a, have a fresh translation done uh, by someone who really understood, uh, I guess someone who's quintessentially English uh, and also could uh, speak fluent French, which actually, uh, I say that, but that was actually a, a, a slight surprise. I didn't know when I approached him that he was that good at French, but he revealed that to me. Um, uh, but Simon, uh, obviously I respect highly as an actor, as a director, as a writer. Uh, he knows his stuff, he understands theatre, he's been to Park Theatre a number of times, he's become a friend of mine, uh, and I was chatting to him about it. And uh, and actually he said, he said, oh no, that's a ghastly idea at first. And I said, oh, why? He said, yes, I read it. Um, uh, a terrible play. And I said, what do you mean you read it? And it turned out that what he had read was that early version that someone had sent him. Oh, okay. So I said, look, I'll send you the literal translation. And that's when he said, actually, I speak fluent French, so can you send me the original French as well? Which I did, and he read both, called me back three days later and said, I absolutely love it. You're right, it just needs to be set when it was set. That's how it works. It's a fast-paced fast, let's do it. And then bringing it to the actual stage, what involvement does Simon have in that, in that aspect of, of the play? 
Well, um, obviously we've been working on the script together for uh, a little while now, and he came into the first day of rehearsals and the, and the, the read-through. Um, he's given a few notes. We've had quite a few script changes. Uh, I'm going to say quite a few normal or possibly below normal for a new play because as you know when you go into rehearsal room with a new play so much changes once you get the actors speaking the lines uh, but particularly the structure of act two we've we, we've made, made some cuts so um i've been talking to him about those and when he hasn't been able to come in we've been emailing him uh, and he's been looking it over and he's been very happy with the way it's going in fact our research showed that the original script we had certainly the original french uh, script was published um before they got to their first show. Therefore, the script that's available is not necessarily the actual performance script. Um, and, uh, and our research showed that they did quite a lot of changes, not just in rehearsals, but in performance as well over, over a few months. So I think that a few problems that we found are problems that probably they would have found in 1973 that we're now dealing with. <laughs> You're annoyed dealing with. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, we're um, really, what, where are we now? We're at the end of week three, three of rehearsals, yeah, and um, and uh, a lot of that has been um, has been sort of unpicking uh, the translation and kind of it's very interesting because uh, the French language works differently from the English language in so many ways. But we in in, in farce and in comedy we're very used to the whole one two three gag. You yes. know, you set up uh, uh, whenever you have a list of things, it's a list of three things, and that's the punchline. And French is different. You know, French verse is different. They they don't they don't have the iambic pentameter. They have something very different. So so actually what we what we're finding is actually we need to take those words out and just make it the one two three and then that'll work with it with it with it with an English audience right. so it's just it's just getting used to uh, what what will sound better to the English ear at the end of the day and getting used to uh, perhaps more for you and um, I understand it's, it's a really big cast for the <laughs> yes. park isn't it it's the biggest show we've ever produced like by far um, it's got 11 actors uh, it's got about 35 full costumes and some of those are complete drag and that includes heels for men wigs Makeup. Uh, it's a beautiful, beautiful set in Saint Tropez. Uh, so it is. It is absolutely mega. We've got twice as many stage crew running around behind the scenes, hopefully, hopefully seamlessly, um, uh, to make it all work. So it's super exciting for us as a venue. Yes, I've seen the uh, the ad that was on Facebook. Yes, and you the know, trailer. In, yeah, the yeah, trailer, yeah. and it instantly got me hooked. I mean, there, there's going to, there's there's lots of people, and there's lots of drag, and yeah. lots of costumes in there. It's really colourful and, and bright. I think it's just what we need because outside of the political message, which is obviously there, mm. at the end of the day, the truth of it is, it is also simply a absolutely hilarious farce uh, and it's great just to get out of your head switch off the news come and see something that's gonna make you laugh and probably roll about with belly laughter and that's so important nowadays and actually it's it's been you know it's here at the park theater which is not an lgbt venue you don't need to be lgbt to understand or to want to see it unlike some other plays you know one of the ones in this series we're going to be talking about is um, at the Keen's Head, which is very much dealing with, you know, gay issues and stuff. That, that yeah. you know, this play transcends all that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this play is for everyone, and uh, I, I'm not sure what venues would be LGBT venues. I mean, we've done a lot of 
LGBTQ plays in both spaces, but we, we do a broad range of, of plays and, and cater for a wide audience. And, and I think, as I say, going back to the fact that this is simply, at its heart, a really fun, entertaining night out, it caters for everyone. You're going you're gonna to see it, and you're going to want to come and see it again, and you're going to want to tell your friends and family you've got to see this show. And it's booking fast. Yeah, yeah. I think drag is just really popular with everybody at the moment. I mean, thanks to RuPaul and, and, um, and you know, I, I mean, there's a whole load of um, that British uh, RuPaul's Drag Race was amazing and it had so many viewers. And I think now, now is a great time to be doing it. And now is a great time to be going out. February, March, you need to be going out watching a, a ridiculous, colourful farce. That's what you need to be doing. <laughs> I went two weekends ago to DragCon, so RuPaul's DragCon at the Olympia, first time in the UK. I'd say 10,000 people, half of them dressed in drag. Wow. It was spectacular. You know, it, re it has th that particular series has brought people not out of the woodwork, but given them confidence to leave their room like never before. You know, you mentioned drag. It really is having a, a real, really up at the moment. It's fantastic. Yeah, I know. This is uh, this is a this is a really wonderful time to be doing this show. I think as soon as as soon as I read it, as soon as I was offered it, I was so excited. It's just a it's a fizzy, fantastic, funny piece. It really is. And had you seen any of the previous versions, the tour or the 2010 in the West End, or or indeed the Minier Chocolate Factory? Um, actually, yes. I saw the musical um, uh, at the Playhouse Theatre mm -hmm. uh, with John Barrowman. Uh, it's really fun, really entertaining. And I, I saw the, I saw Birdcage. I saw the original French film with my mum and dad um, okay. way back in about 1979. Um, uh, that ages me. <laughs> and um, they, uh, well, you were only three years old. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I was only about 14, and my mum and dad uh, laughed, and I laughed, and it was a uh, very validating experience, actually. Oh, well, that's how I found out about the play in the first instance, was I, when I was probably about 14, 15, I watched La Cage aux Folles, the French film, mm -hmm. and it was when the credits were rolling at the end, it said, based on a stage play by Jean Poiré. And I looked up then uh, and discovered that, that, yes, indeed it was, and it was very successful, and it had never been done. Yeah, fantastic. And for you, did um, seeing those, uh, seeing the play at the Playhouse, that, did you go back there and think how it was done? Has that helped you in any way or not? Uh, I, no, so no, different. funnily enough, I quite like having quite an empty head, <laughs> which, I, which I do possess. Uh, and uh, I, I don't... After today. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, I, I remember that, I remember little moments, little, little snippets from the musical and from Birdcage and from the French film, really wonderful moments. And occasionally I've got, I've sort of said, oh, there's a lovely bit where, um, where one of the characters says, and you smear the butter on your toes. So, oh, can we get that? in um, but on the whole I like not being able to remember any of it and just taking the words off the page and seeing what we're starting with on day one well that's good because that's what Simon was keen on as well you know he was very adamant that okay if you're getting me to adapt and translate the original play then that's what we're gonna do the film the musical they all went off in certain directions and we don't want to do something that is an amalgamation of everyone's best mm. scenes from the you know the French film the American film and the musical it is yeah. It is the play, but it's the original. It has an authenticity yeah. to it. 
And then, of course, the, the measure the chocolate factory in South London, it transferred to the West End. Is that ultimately a goal when you put something on or, or is it not really something that you think about? It's not always a goal when we put something on, but it's often an ambition, and it is certainly an ambition with this. We, um, I mean, it's such a big show that, in fact, it can't even really break even here. That's how big it is. It might, it might sort of just about, <laughs> hopefully, only lose a tenner. You know, it, it's, it's really massive, and we're doing it as a co-production with Adam Blanchet, um, who's also uh, keen to either look at it on tour or take it into town. Um, it is a commercial title, and we think it's going to be an absolute riot, and, and there is future life there, I hope, yes. Fantastic. Well, I, without seeing it, because we're recording this a few weeks before it's set to open, it probably will be in preview when this is going out, but I am fairly confident to say it will be fantastic and that everyone should, should well, go and case, see it. Get your ticket soon, because the way we're selling at the moment by previews is it's, it's going to be tight. Yeah. Uh, it's selling really, really well, which is fantastic. Well, the, the name helps sell it, doesn't it? Of course, yeah. 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 Guys, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for having us. <laughs> Well, that was Jez Bond from the Park Theatre and Michael Mattis, the lead in La Cage of Fall. It was so interesting to hear from both of them explaining and telling us how La Cage of Fall, the play, is so different from the musical, which we're probably all fairly familiar with. And I really cannot wait to see how Simon Callow has enriched that script in order to bring it to life and make it even more funny than what the musical is. So it, it's going to be a real treat. Tickets can be got from the Park Theatre website, parktheatre.co.uk. And of course, this is one of two podcasts exploring La Caixa Fall. It's a double helping. Uh, as I say, this one has Jez Bond and Michael Mattis talking to us, but the other is a very special interview or chat with Simon Callow in his own home. I met him last week and we had a, a cup of tea and a chat about the play and how it all came about. Obviously, being able to speak and write French helped immensely. But he talks about other things too, being young and gay in London in the in the 50s and 60s. And also, whether or not he is going to be playing John Burko. I know there's a lot of talk on social media about that. So make sure and download Up The Arts podcast on whatever app you use. We're everywhere. Make sure you download it. Tell your mates to do the same as well. You can also follow us on Twitter, Up The Arts Show on Twitter. I uh, regularly post there things that are coming up. And also, if we're not discussing something within the LGBT arts and cultural community that you think we should, then drop me an email, Show at outlook.com. Until next time, have a fabulous week. Enjoy the double bill, exploring and hearing about La Cage Fall, and stay safe.